We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today, we're joined by one of my favorite analysts in the draft business. That's John Ledyard. He, you know, rose up the ranks, took a year off last year, but he's back in the mix writing for Pewter Report. Just came out with his breakdown of the top 20 receiver rankings, did the safeties. He's going to do the offensive line. Ledyard is one of the biggest film grinders out there. I'm talking more film this guy watches than anyone we've talked to on the podcast, including Nick and myself. That's how much film this guy watches. So really excited to get his thoughts on the Giants and the 2020 NFL draft class. So without further ado, let's welcome John in. And now we have on the other line joining us John Ledyard of Pewter Report. John is a guy who, when I first started diving deep into the draft, I used to kind of just be an NFL guy who never really knew that much about the draft, knew maybe the first round, first two rounds of a mock, and then I started to dive deep. And John was one of the first people who I discovered on Twitter who became just an automatic follow, didn't want to miss a word he had to say, took some time away from the draft process last, I believe it was last year. Um, but John, why don't you, before we dive into the nitty gritty of this, why don't you break down kind of your journey through the ranks and kind of your time off and what you've discovered joining back in? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I mean, coming up, uh, you know, start off like everybody else, you just start writing somewhere and you don't make hardly any money and you get pieced together a bunch of part-time stuff and probably have another full-time job, worked with high school kids and students for a long time um, in like a mentoring type of role. And so did that for a long time and enjoyed it a lot, um, worked in some industries at the same time and then you just kind of get to a point where okay this thing's going to be full-time and so you start cutting some other you know, job responsibilities out um, so got to that point with a couple gigs and then launched the draft network and that became really successful in a short amount of time and it was great um, and I think the workload more than anything you know I really am not very transparent about my personal life on social media and stuff like that but the workload just had bogged me down to a point where you know because when you're launching a company it is like I mean, it's just a lot of stuff outside of scouting, outside of scouting players and writing about football, which I was prepared for. And I thought like I knew it in my head what it was going to be. So it wasn't like it was surprising. It just was so draining on top of how hard I'd grinded for, for years of chasing the other stuff. So I had been thinking about getting out of it for a long time and finally did and, and stepped away from it a long time and wasn't sure I'd honestly be back until Scott 
uh, Reynolds, the pewter report called me and was like, Hey, would, you know, would you be interested in this? And I've been offered some other opportunities and really hadn't felt like it was right for, for me or for our family. And, you know, my wife, Britt and I hadn't felt like it. And so I offered this and thought and prayed about it for about a month and thought it was the best thing to do. And it was seemed like that door was open and other ones started to close for us that we thought were going to be opening. So jumped into it, covering the box, covering the NFL draft, loving it a couple months now. And so it's been a blast. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like it. We're going to dive right into this, but I just read through your entire um, wide receiver breaking rankings breakdown. And that was probably the best content I've read all draft season. I really mean that John, honestly, for those who haven't read it, I tweeted it out. I retweeted it out a little bit earlier this week, but I'll drop a link if you guys uh, hit, hit me up in the replies on Twitter. I know you guys like to do that for some of the shows that I post. So I'll, I'll link you off to John's work on receivers. But, you know, he's done that for a lot of position groups, and there's more position groups coming. He has, he's done the safeties, and I think offensive line will be coming probably next week or the week after. Right, John? Yeah, I think I'll have running backs probably on Monday, and then um, we'll do offensive line. We'll probably do tackles and interior guys uh, the Monday before the draft, I think. Awesome. Well, let's start there on receivers, though, because um, as you as you might know, the Giants have a laundry list of needs. The New York Giants as a franchise, but they have found themselves in an interesting position at wide receiver. They've called Golden Tate on the back end of his career. Sterling Shepard has had some concussion woes that, you know, maybe put his career in jeopardy if he has another concussion or another couple concussions. So it might be a bigger need than people think they stumbled in. They didn't stumble into. They made a nice they did a good job landing. Darius Slayton, the fifth round of last draft, he looks like he's going to be a potential keeper. But, you know, you broke down all of these receivers. And like I said to you before, this was my favorite piece so far of the of the draft season. And a good friend of mine who breaks down all 22 for Penn State uh, mentioned your piece to me, like just separately in a, in a conversation, because he was so impressed with your evaluation of Hamler, just because he says it's pretty much the most spot on Hamler eval he's read. It's exactly how he sees that player. So that kind of gave me an idea that that the rest of this was going to be good stuff. And then I dove right in. So with all that said, John, I want to talk a little bit about the rankings. I want to start with your wide receiver five, because it's not the same wide receivers five you see as in most of the consensus rankings. And that's Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. So this is an interesting one because I have seen him kind of mocked more in the round three to four range. So maybe if the Giants are interested per se, he could be on the board there at 97 or 110 overall. What do you like most about this game? And do you see, do you think he can fit into what we expect Jason Garrett's offense to be, which is going to likely be a Coriel based offense based on what he's done in Dallas as their, as their coordinator? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that one of the things I really like about Brian Edwards is that I don't know that he's scheme dependent. You know, I think he can do a lot of different things. I think he can play inside. He can play outside. You know, if you're in a vertical based scheme, I think he has way more speed than people realize. Uh, got behind corners, I thought, a good amount of the season and last season as well. And the year before that, I mean, he's played a lot of football at South Carolina. Um, you know, he was playing as a true freshman. And so I think that, uh, you know, he's a guy that can do a lot of different things. Well, there are some little polish that's needed for his game, I think still to reach his kind of maximum potential, but I think for the most part, he's kind of who he's going to be. And so I think he'll hit the ground, hopefully running the injuries are kind of the unknown with, with Brian Edwards at this point, but um, man, his quarterback play was just horrible at South Carolina. So that's the part of his evaluation. That's difficult to get past because there are so many inaccurate balls thrown his way and he makes a ton of highlight reel catches. And then the expectation becomes that that'll always happen. So when it doesn't, then he's inconsistent when really is just bad quarterback play all the time. And so I think that, uh, you know, his ability to win above the rim, but also produce after the catch and create enough separation and routes, I think make him a really enticing player. And also the fact that he played inside and outside of South Carolina, let's say on the outside, he's not getting as much separation as you'd like. I think you can move him inside and be really, really happy. He's built like a tight end. I think you can be really happy with the type of production that he can give you over the middle of the field as well, because he's tough and he's fearless and he's physical. And so that kind of stuff to me, it's just like, it's going to be hard to mess up Ryan Edwards. I think like there's just so many things he does well, so many ways that he wins, even if he doesn't have like this one thing that you're like Trump card, like, this is definitely going to be his trump card. I just feel like he helps your team in so many ways um, that it's going to be easy for him to kind of hit the ground running. And I don't think the scheme matters a whole lot for him either because he can do so many different things. That's interesting, especially because, you know, the Giants kind of found a way to land a player like that in Darius Slayton last draft with a similar scenario, you know, from the standpoint of he had really bad quarterback play at Auburn over there and really a system that just didn't fit his skill set or any receiver's skill set at the time. So it'll be interesting to see if he's another one of those players who benefits from jump the NFL just in the sense that it's he's going to he's going to see more accurate ball placement on an overall scheme on an overall basis. So. 
One player I wanted to talk about before we kind of dove into other positions would be my favorite, you know, wide receiver value in this entire class. And I was ha- so happy to see him up your rankings, John. And that was your wide receiver six, Michael Pittman. I think in any other draft class, he's a first rounder for me in my mind. And I think he's going to end up one of the better values. So can you break down his game a little bit? And, you know, maybe if, if it doesn't apply, don't worry about it. But if he is somebody you think is a good fit for kind of that Coriel-based system, that vertical system with that wants big bodies on the outside, kind of break that down as well. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely is. Um, what I really liked about Pittman is that he is a big guy who doesn't who isn't super explosive, but he can still win vertically down the field. If he couldn't win vertically down the field. I'm not, I think he would be a good player in the NFL. I don't know what his value would be short to intermediate. He can win. He can help you. He's just not that great with the ball in his hands after the catch. He's fine. He knows where the sticks are. I'll fight for it. You know, lean forward, that kind of stuff, but nothing special after the catch. So, you know, those kind of guys are like, okay, if you can only win underneath and you're not going to make magic with the ball in your hands, you're fine. Like you could start, you know, I'll take you in the third round. I'll take you in the fourth round. Maybe you can start eventually, you know, you help me out as a blocker and some stuff like that. But because Pittman ran the four, five, two, and he does have long speed, he's not like super twitched up off the line of scrimmage, but that almost gets corners to fall asleep a little bit. I think the best comp I've heard for him, I'm not a huge comp guy unless they come to me naturally. I wrote about him. I watched his tape. I didn't think of a comp. Nothing came to me, so I didn't include it in what I wrote. But then I saw Eric Crocker, one of my guys on on Twitter, um, talking about Michael Pittman, and he said he compares him to Vincent Jackson, uh, who played years ago for Chargers and the Bucks. And so I thought that was spot on because Jackson was no burner, but he won vertically all the time, just had great ball skills, positioning, tracked it well, yep. catch outside his frame, knew how to stack corners and use physicality to get over the top of him down the field. So my thing is just don't take away Pittman's vertical opportunities because he isn't a burner. You know, teams are looking for these ultra speed guys on the outside. Well, Pittman can do things for you vertically down the field that a lot of faster guys in this class aren't very good at. And so keep giving him those opportunities. He can make plays there. He can, I mean, he's going to dominate in the red zone. I just think again, with Pittman and Edwards, what I kept coming back to, and even to a degree with Jefferson, my wide receiver four, I felt like maybe I played it in some ways a little bit safe with these guys, but the other guys who a lot of other people have higher up the board, like Jalen Rager and Lavica, uh, Lavisca Chanel um, and uh, T Higgins, just too many question marks and too much inconsistency for me to feel as comfortable with those guys. I still like things about their games. I just liked with these guys, I didn't feel like I was taking some huge risk. And at wide receiver, I'm just tired of taking risks early in the draft. Like we've seen so many of these guys bust because teams are looking for things that they shouldn't be looking for. And so I'm, I'm ready to roll with some guys who I know can come out and play right away, play at a high level and do a bunch of different things well. And that's one of the reasons that I really like Pittman. One thing I love that you said there, John, is that you really specified the difference between how you win in the vertical passing game. It's not just speed. Now, teams still might look for raw speed to help them in the vertical game because it can open up the middle of the field. We've seen this with Sean Payton's offense, with Andy Reid's offense over time. But winning in the vertical game, just like you mentioned with Vincent Jackson, you don't have to have a burner. There's a different skill set to winning in the vertical game. That isn't just pure speed. And I love that you broke that down because I do think that he has a ton of upside in that regard as he moves forward to the NFL level. Yeah. Hey, John, I love the uh, comparison with uh, Pittman to Jackson. I think that's really spot on. We got a couple more rapid fire wide questions for you. So Darius Slayton, like we said, he fell to the Giants in round five last year. Outside of Brian Edwards, who we already talked about, is there another wide receiver in this class that you feel like could be a value in the later rounds for the Giants that maybe had a bad quarterback or a non-friendly system like Slayton did last season? Yeah, so let's scroll through the rankings even and, and ignore kind of the guys out in the third round. Rager, Chanel, you know, these guys are going to go high uh, regardless of where I kind of, I mean, I have them early third rounds. So I have them pretty high anyway. Um, you know, Denzel Mims, those kind of guys are going to go high. T. Higgins is probably going to go higher than I have them. Um, so, you know, some guys that jump out as, as interesting options to me. I think Antonio Gibson from Memphis is fascinating, not because so much it was a bad quarterback situation. I don't think that was as big of a deal as the fact that he is just a total on almost a total unknown because he didn't even play really until this year at Memphis. He's touched the ball 77 times in his entire career at Memphis and 71 of them were last season. So why are we even talking about this guy? I mean, 77 times in your whole career career is nuts. Like, 
that can't be a draftable prospect, right? Like, but he scored 14 touchdowns on those 77 <laughs> touches. Um, it, unbelievable with the ball in his hands. I mean, I think a lot of these guys get said, oh, they're great with the ball in their hands. But I mean, there are different ways to win with the ball in their your hands. And I'm just not sure that some of these guys like, it's like oh, unbelievable with the ball in his hands. And I watch him, I'm like, okay, yeah, when there's open grass, he can run really fast. Like, that's great. I, and I, I give him credit for that in my evaluations. But when I talk about guys that are great with the ball in their hands and dynamic with the ball in their hands, I'm talking about guys that can beat tacklers with power, violence. You know, you're attacking guys. Um, you can run through arm tackles, acceleration and decreases in space, elusiveness to cut laterally and the open field and in tight quarters. You know, can you do all that kind of stuff? You know, not many guys can do all that kind of stuff. I mean, we only have 77 examples with Gibson and you're not going to do it every play. But when I saw those 77 times, he did it a lot. I mean, he made people miss as a runner because he played running back some from Memphis too. And as a slot receiver catching the football, I mean, both, I think to PFF has him as one of the highest tackle breakers amongst runners and as amongst receivers, that ability to just defeat people in space is valuable to any offense. If you know how to use a player like that, it's valuable to any offense because when a guy can create offense on his own, he just has a vast array of possibilities in terms of what he can bring to your team, where you can line him up, how you can get him the football. So I think Gibson's fascinating. I don't know how high you can rank a guy with 77 college touches and only 44 of those are catches and 33 of them are carries. So I just don't even know what I'm not sure exactly what you do with somebody like that in terms of your rankings, how you value a sample size like that compared to everybody else. Uh, but then he went out at the combine and he's six foot two twenty eight, and it's all muscle. I mean, the dude is absolutely rocked up. Looks like he's just lived in the weight room Four three nine forty. I think he's just a blast. I would have him as high as I possibly could. There's just no way I could justify having him above the third round with that few, that small of a career sample size and really only playing one season of college football. Uh, but I love his game. I think he brings a lot of really good things to the table. He's not overly polished year one, but if he gets there by year three, I mean, you just have an absolute steal in Gibson because he's going to come off the board somewhere in the mid rounds, maybe even on day three, but athletically size wise, competitiveness, ability to make and create splash plays. I mean, it's all there. You just need the polish now for him to become more of a high volume player, which I think he can be. Man, he's thick with two C's. There's absolutely yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. But uh, so, John, my friend, there are so many quality wide receivers in this class. How many do you realistically see going in the first 98 picks? And I say 98 because the Giants have the 99th. Oh, man, it's a good question. I think, you know, I don't think you'll have more than 15 go in that range. I know. Mel Kuyper, like two months ago or something, said he 25 to 30 wide receivers would go in the first three rounds. That's like almost mathematically impossible for to have that happen. I mean, there's just no way that's going to go down. But I think if you got to 15 or 16, I mean, that's that's probably on the high end in terms of history. I looked it up. I can't remember the exact numbers, but that many in the top 100 would be on the high end historically. Um, so I think you'll see something like that. The one weird thing about this class is though I love guys like Lamb and Judy and Ruggs. I have first round grades on those guys. I don't think, and I saw somebody say this, I think it was in Bob McGinn's kind of scout. He talks to scouts and stuff and put it in the athletic in his articles in the athletic breaking down different prospects in this draft. And there's some good stuff in there. There's also some ridiculous scout takes that happen every year. But one of the things that jumped out at me is one of the scouts was talking about CD lamb and how much he likes him. He was like, I don't think there's a Calvin Johnson in this class or someone like that. And I think he's right. I, I don't think there's a Calvin Johnson type in this class, even though I have first round grades on some of those top guys. Like I think they're going to be really good NFL receivers. If they land in the right situation with the right coaching, then I think they could be some of the best you know, top 10 receivers in the NFL. I don't know if you're going to see anybody that like Julio Calvin competes for the best receiver in the league year to year. So if you care about that distinction, there it is. But because of that, I say that to say, I think those guys at the top will be the best receivers in this class. I still think you can get really good difference makers down the board in this class. I think everybody's kind of, there's just like a lot of really good starters in this class. I don't know that there's any, like this guy's going to be a top three player at his position in the class. So a good class for sure. But I think there's that distinction maybe needs to be made that I don't know that we're going to see anybody from this class like we did in 2014 for a while where it was like Mike Evans and OBJ both might be top five receivers in the league at their positions, you know, and still we probably make that argument. I don't know that we'll get there with this class consistently. We'll see. I think guys like Lamb and Judy have a shot, but um, I, I think that it's just a really good class across the board. 
I love it, John. And before we turn the page on the wide receivers to some more, you know, giant specific stuff, I know the fans want to hear it. But remember, receivers also big needs, so don't sleep on it. And like John said, very deep class. I want to know, did you have a chance to watch my boy Quintez Cephas at all? And how far did he uh, come from cracking your top 20? I have watched him a little bit. I actually really liked him peripherally when I was watching him. I watched uh, our Okuda and Arnett against Wisconsin separately. So I got to see him twice in that game. And then I can't remember. I watched another Wisconsin game too. I don't remember who it was against. And I got to see him in that game. And I liked a lot of the things that he did. I was kind of like quietly hyping him up before the combine. And then he ran four, seven, three. And I'm just like, Oh man, like at this point in the process, because I didn't start scouting really these guys until the beginning of February, like the first couple of days in February, I was so late behind getting involved deep into this process. I'd seen a lot of guys live and kind of new guys games from watching in years past, but there's so many guys to watch every year that, you know, with this receiver class, I just literally had to tra- start prioritizing guys that, athletically had a better shot to actually be drafted or actually make it uh, at their position. So I had to cut down some guys who I liked like him and Jawan Jennings. I liked them. I plan on having them as mid round grades based on a little bit of what I'd seen. I plan on jumping in and trying to put them in the mid rounds when they ran four sevens. It was just kind of like, I've just got to prioritize guys that have a little bit better percentage chance of working out and of getting drafted because those numbers are so slow. Teams will probably consider not draft them at all. And I, I really just, you know, like I said, there's so many wide receivers in this class. You just kind of have to prioritize. I hope to get a chance still to see him and Jennings and Gabriel Davis from UCF. I know there's some big fans out yep. there. I didn't get to see him yet. And I've seen enough of John Hightower to kind of feel lukewarm about him, but haven't finished mm-hmm. his evaluation. Isaiah Coulter from, from Rhode Island. Uh, I know like James Prochet, I've seen good about him uh, again, slow and small. I don't know. He's going to be a late pick, but he has great hands and knows how to, get open as a route runner. So, you know, there's some guys like that, that I wish I'd seen get able to see a little bit more of, but just got to accept the realities and try to get everybody in, in this class is pretty tough. Interesting. Well, I will be interested to see if you do get a chance to circle back on Cephas, because I believe he ran closer to a four five at his pro day before kind of the coronavirus thing took over. But on when I've watched him, he, he he's faster than the four seven for sure. But that's not really how he wins. He really wins in a in a, in a variety of ways, um, creating separation and on, on 50 50 balls down the field. So we'll see. I think he's a really intriguing late round guy. All right. Now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That is Blue Wire, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Okay, John, let's dive into some Giants specific questions now. Giants need pass rush help, and that's obvious, but what is not obvious is how are they going to get it? There doesn't appear to be an option for the team at number four, assuming the Redskins don't royally screw this up. But do you see any prospects in the range of outcomes at pick number 36 or pick number 99 that the Giants may come away with in this draft? It's hard. I mean, (laughs) you could say that, you know, a guy like Zach Bond makes sense and from Wisconsin and Maybe he does, but he's 238 pounds, and he, you know I think that he's a great. He's a, he's probably the second. If you were gonna just say give me a pass rusher right now for third down, and he can't be Chase Young in this class, I'd probably take Zach Bond even over Ch- Chison, even though I have will have Chison over him um, on my board. So I, because I think his his ability to, to accelerate off the snap more consistently and win outside of the tackle's hip, you know, are traits that really can't be taught, but he really doesn't have anything else as a pass rusher. And he, he, he has no power. I mean, no speed to power at all. I think PFF has him. I read was to say they don't have, I think he had zero pressures off of a power rush last season, like nothing. And so he just doesn't have any of that in his game. So I just think tackles in the NFL are going to figure him out. Um, unless he were to become, you know, I think he's a linebacker basically. And 
Uh, I, and I think he can rush. I like him a lot. I think he can rush on, on certain downs. So maybe if you're comfortable with a guy in that time of a role, I mean, certainly linebackers position that I know they like Connolly and they signed Martinez and uh, that's great. But, you know, I think that it's a position they can clearly can still continue to get better at for sure. Um, so maybe, maybe it's in, enough of interest there to play him in like a hybrid type of role and feel comfortable with it. But man, I, I really don't like this class at all edge defenders. I know people like Yator Gross Matos or AJ Epinesa, and I don't even know how much these guys really fit the Giants, but, you know, Curtis Weaver, I don't see it with really any of those guys, to be honest. I have them so far down of where people are kind of saying that they'll go that I would, they probably wouldn't even, as a team, if I were a team, you know, by myself here, I would probably wouldn't even have them on my board based on if everybody, if the other 31 have them, you know, where I think they'll have them, which is in the top 50. I don't have them in that range at all. So, um, so those guys, you know, that take them out and what do you have left? I mean, Josh Uche is an interesting player, but six one two forty five. he played 400 snaps this past season in Michigan, barely got on the field his entire career in Michigan. I just, I have a hard time believing a guy that barely got on the field at Michigan for as long as he was there. And I know he had some injuries early, but is that guy really going to be able to step in and play and be a big difference maker right away in the NFL? Just seems like a long shot, uh, to me, his game needs some polish and some key areas. So there isn't a lot. I mean, I think later in the draft, maybe a Daryl Taylor from Tennessee is an interesting player. You know, there's definite bend and flexibility there. Uh, a little bit of quickness. He's just highly inconsistent. And physically, he doesn't have much answer, much of an answer. If somebody locks him up, there's no counters. There's not much power. You know, he, he really kind of has to win with plan A. And in the NFL, you better be pretty elite as an athlete uh, for plan A to work all the time. And we don't really know many of his numbers yet at this point. I don't think so. Um, yeah, not a great edge class, man. I wish I could wish I had better news for you guys. It's a rough group. <laughs> well, that's interesting, John, because we were going to roll into the, into Uche, who both Nick and I kind of can't get a good feel for. Um, and then Lewis, who again is a guy, he looks the part. I, I, I know he has the upside. I'm not big on either of those two. So, you know, you're talking about, you don't like Weaver. We don't love those guys. I mean, Vaughn is a guy who we think probably has to maybe go off ball at the NFL level, but he did win on the edge at Wisconsin for what it's worth pretty consistently. Um, But, you know, like you said, it's just not a great class for this position. So it's interesting to see how the Giants actually get better there. But we also think another huge need for this team is is finding an athletic off-ball linebacker. They need someone who can match up. In, on passing downs in, in nickel, which is now, you know, 75% of the defensive snaps at the NFL level these days are nickel and 80% are sub package. So they really need an athletic off ball type. Um, we like the, we like some of the big names there, obviously Simmons, uh, Murray queen, but one guy who we really like is Akeem Davis Gaither. But do you have any other of your favorite kind of day two or day three off ball linebacker types? Logan Wilson seems like Gettleman's type. I mean, just based on what I know of him, you know, it seems like that's the type of guy, you know, smart and, and instinctive. And really, I mean, at Wyoming, he did a ton of great things in coverage. Uh, I think there's some level of question about whether that athletically will translate to the NFL because he isn't an elite athlete like Patrick Queen and Simmons. And, you know, Bond is a really good athlete. Kenneth Murray, you know, some of those Willie Gay. I mean, you have this linebacker class, by the way, is being totally slept on. It's a it's a very it's a promising linebacker class. Not saying all these guys will turn out to be stars, but it's I mean, coaching, they're gonna have everything they want in a guy. It's just a matter of getting them where they need to get to, uh, technically, because there's tons of talent in this linebacker class. Um so I think Logan Wilson's a guy, yeah, that that seems like he fits the mold and I think would fit a lot. You know, they get him was always just he wanted linebackers that are smart and they can cover and that especially in zone that that have those kind of natural instincts. And so, yeah, I think when you talk about fits, he's a guy that makes a ton of sense um, for the Giants. Uh, and and it, I think, I don't know, it's hard to distinguish this time of year where guys are going to go, but he may go earlier than people think. I mean, I, yeah. you know, th- maybe he goes in the third round, but I really don't think he's going to be there on day three. And I think early in the process, people thought that. I think I'd be a little bit surprised if he were still there on day three um, now. But I've heard people say he's going to go round two. I'm not sure if that's just some smoke being blown or not. That seems high to me, but um, round three seems like a pretty safe bet for him. I've actually liked Logan Wilson for for quite some time as well, so it's good to see that a lot of people are kind of onto him. But moving away from the linebackers, the Giants have had this need at single high safety for what seems like a decade now. Do you feel there are any single high rangy type of safeties that can kind of fit the billing for the Giants at either 36.99 or even pick 110? Yeah, I think that. 
I, my top free safety in the class is Ashton Davis from Cal. You know, he's kind of the guy that I feel like would fit that mold better than anybody. Uh, Antoine Winfield certainly has the ability for you to think about playing him in that kind of a role. He'd have to be pro. Well, I don't know. The injury history with Antoine Winfield makes him more of an unknown than people. People are going to be surprised, but he's not going to go. You know, people like him in the first round, um, but he just not. I just don't see it. I mean, he missed two, basically two full college seasons because of injury. He played great last season when he was healthy, but with the with the situation the way it is with COVID-19, you know, teams just aren't getting the information they want. So I think a guy like him that doesn't even play like a premium position in the eyes of the NFL, I think he could slide. 99 seems like a stretch. I don't think he'll be able to be there, but, you know, maybe you jump up for him. But, uh, you know, at 36, I think Ashton Davis from Cal would be my pick. Um, you know, Grant Delpit, I think, uh, is another one, is free safety, um, you know, was probably a top 10 player going into the season and just – too many, I mean, three straight years really of being just a horrendous tackler is part of the problem. But really, man coverage, he just has continued to lose 1v1 and man coverage a lot. Uh, so I think he has to be a free safety. So if that's what you need, he's probably more valuable to you there than anywhere else. So uh, he's another player that could be a fit. And then I would say like later down the board, if you're looking at safeties, like later in the class, like you're talking about at uh, 110, um, you know, I don't know about 150, but I mean, any of those spots, those later uh, day three spots. You're probably one of the guys that's intriguing. Two guys are intriguing to look at for that role. Julian Blackman from Utah, again, injury, knee injury to finish his senior his senior season at Utah. First year at safety, did some good things, did some bad things. Athletically, I think he's capable. There's like a lot of intrigue and promise. He made some nice ball skills plays this past season. Also blew a bunch of touchdowns. He's still learning free safety. He was a corner at Utah. He's interesting because I think he could slide just because of the injury and be there and, and potentially be a future starter at free safety for a team. And then Kenny Robinson played in the XFL this past year. Uh, ball skills are there. I don't think he's a very good athlete, but he's kind of got that natural instinct on the back end where he's going to make some plays. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of Tedder Thompson, who I know that Seahawks just ended up cutting. And I think they have kind of a very specific idea what they want to say. I think Tedder can play a little bit, but Robinson's a little bit like that and that he'll, he'll be around the ball and he'll make some splash plays, you know, this range of the draft, you're, you're probably giving up some plays too, but those are two guys that I'd consider down the board that can both play free safety. I love it, John. And before we turn the page real quick on safety, I do want to ask you a co- about a couple guys I think might be there in the 99 range for one of them. And then maybe 110 for the other, both, both in that same range, really. Um, and I want to see your thoughts on them. The first would be uh, Terrell Burgess out of Utah, who kind of didn't play that much single high. But when he did, I liked what I saw. And he did a lot of different things on that defense. So before I move to the next one, I want to get your thoughts on Burgess. I absolutely love Terrell Burgess. I don't think he's a free safety at Utah. When he played deep, it was almost always two high coverages. When they went to single high, it was almost always Blackman. that was single high and Burgess would come down in the slot or play in the box. Not a big guy, but a great athlete. Probably the, I mean, he's, I think, easily the best nickel corner in this class. Um, probably going to play in the slot in the NFL. But yeah, he was great when he was deep too. You know, I mean, it might've been two high shells, but that guy can split routes and make a play on the ball and full quarterbacks. He is a natural. And this was his first year as a starter, but ask Jalen Johnson. He was just getting interviewed by cover one, I think. And he raved about, um, you know, he was talking to Eric Turner and he was just raving about Terrell Burgess and how hard he worked and he got his chance this season and blew everybody away. And um, he made some plays on the ball this past season as a deep safety that were really impressive. I don't think he has the range and like the size the teams are going to want at free safety. Um, but I think he could kick there in a spot. You know, that's the nice thing about a guy like Burgess. Like you legitimately have a dude that's smart enough, athletic enough, instinctive enough to play anywhere you kind of would need him to play in a pinch. And so guys like that are super valuable um, skill set and size kind of similar to Lamarcus Joyner, but none of the like up and down head case stuff that you get with Joyner that I see with Burgess, just way more consistent level of play, um, way more technically sound. I can't believe he's a one year one or one year starter. It's one just, year, yeah. I just bonkers to me. I mean, I don't, first of all, I don't know how he didn't get on the field. I know they've had a lot of talent there, but I don't know how he didn't get on the field. Second of all, like the dude's technique is unbelievable and man coverage. I mean, he just didn't get beat. I watched, I kept watching game after. I think I watched almost this whole season because I just love watching him play so much. I think he's phenomenal. I have him as my number three safety, but technically really a nickel um, in this class. Um, And I think that he's a day one starter and nickel. I have him in the second round. Um, If he's there late, I mean, just draft him because he's good. I mean, (laughs) if he's there that late, I mean, teams are crazy. And how about Kevon Wallace out of Clemson? What are your thoughts there? Because he might be around in that later range. 
Yeah, love Kayvon Wallace as well. He is a little bit lower than Burgess for me, but I also had him in that late second round range. I know I'm higher on him than most. I think my Granter Pro Football Focus agrees with me. I'm trying to remember there's one other person out there who like also agrees we're sleeping on Kayvon Wallace. He played at Clemson for a long time um, in the slot, played deep. Uh, he's going to be a slot in the NFL, I think. A big slot, though, 5'11", 206. He's thick. I mean, he's very well built. He's tackled one of the best tacklers in the class. Um, good man coverage ability, not amazing. I don't think he's like a Chris Harris, um, right. but a good man coverage guy in the slot who isn't going to be physically outmatched and definitely not athletically outmatched against tight ends. You want him there because he's not that fast. I know he ran four fives. Um, he, speed's fine on tape, but it's definitely, you know, you don't want him like KJ Hamler in the slot. You better cap a safety because it, it's just not the matchup that you want. So, but you know, the way most slots play, keeping stuff in front of them, you know, Desmond King, like, is almost how he is. You know, I think that he can be very successful in the NFL and he probably will go third or fourth round. I'm not sure where Burgess is going to go. I know that the NFL has kind of risen up on him nicely, but Wallace probably will go in that range. And I do think he'll be a steal. I just don't think that it'll be as a deep safety, definitely not as a free safety. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know. One other, before we get, before I let you go, John, and thank you for all, all your time here today. This has been unbelievable stuff, but there are still, unfortunately, needs to get to for the Giants. So we'd love to get your quick thoughts on a couple mm-hmm. more. Sure. Um, and we'll start with the center position for me, because I think the Giants have been lacking a center with like the functional play strength that I think that that position needs for a long time. Like for me, I want like a Frank Ragno type there. I don't really want a Cesar Ruiz type. For, for how for, for what I'm looking for, especially with the, what they're going to move toward with Jason Garrett coming in there. So my question for you, John, would be, are there any OC who stands out as kind of the, the guy who you have no doubts about with, with his play strength and ability to play that position uh, moving forward to the next level? Am I still allowed to say Ziza Ruiz? <laughs> you can see Ruiz. I just kind of, <laughs> thank I, you, maybe yeah. thank it's you. really weird with Ruiz. I don't know why I'm, I, from what I've seen with Ruiz, I feel like he's more of the pass blocking type center. Uh, and I feel like he's better fit for like an inside zone scheme. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's totally off. So if you feel completely different and like he can, you know, be awesome in power and gap, let me know so I can, so I can do more research on him. Yeah, I think he can be. I mean, I think they ran a lot of that at Michigan. I think he did a good job. No, you're right. He definitely is better in pass protection than he is in the run game. But to me, that's more valuable. So I, I love him because of that. And and um, I think, you know, everybody talks about you want to know with this, that position, especially at least I want to know. But the NFL really wants to know, are they smart? Do they get it from a protection standpoint? And do they love football? And he's all three of those things. No doubt he's going to check those boxes based on everybody I talk to. Plus, he's one of the youngest players in this entire class. So the fact that he's been able to play at the level he's been able to play at the last two seasons and get better against the guys he's going up against. I mean, Raekwon Davis gave him some trouble this past year when they played Alabama. But, I mean, that's like it for him in pass protection. Like, he hasn't been challenged. I mean, he's been shutting people down. Um, at Michigan. So I love the way he plays the game because I think he can still get stronger. He can still get a little bit better and he already does things at a pretty high level. Um, you know, to me, those are the kind of guys that aren't finished products, but you still take the chance on, I think, because they already are playing well. It's not like you have to build them from square one and they haven't faced any competition and there's a small sample size. We don't have to worry about any of that with Ruiz. Like he's playing good competition. He's playing at a high level. There are some things we need to fix, but he's so young and he's so promising and he's smart and he's hardworking. So it's kind of just like all the traits. Okay. Can he get from here to here? Everything indicates that he can. Great. That's the kind of guy like I want to roll the dice on and my coaches better do what I paid him to do than at that point. So I like Ruiz a lot because of that. I think he's a great fit for what they're going to do, but also, I mean, he's far from the only one. I mean, Lloyd Cushenberry's gotten better every single year at LCU. Another guy, they're going to rave about character. They're going to rave about smarts. Not as good in pass protection as Ruiz, which is important to me. Um, he sits down really well on guys, but the guys can definitely get into him and, and beat him with quick moves, and he doesn't really have enough of an answer. He needs to be to stop guys a lot harder with his hands right now. It's just guys can still work through him even after that initial punch. So you worry about that a little bit with him. I still think he's a good player, probably second-best center in this class. Um you know, so the, those are the two guys I would have at the top at that position. Okay. A lot of people have talked up Matt Hennessy to me. I saw saw him at the Senior Bowl. I didn't like what I saw there. But everybody I trust has him in like the you know the second or third round. I have to get to his tape. Still haven't done that yet. Um, so you know, I, like I said, I trust those people and they have my. So he'd be probably one another name to throw out there. But the class 
really falls off after that. Nick Harris is, if you run outside zone, great. Throw him in there, see what he can do. He's great in the run game. You know, uh, pass protection, I think he's going to be in trouble. He's just, he's too so, so small, uh, very small center. Um, but he, man, he scraps and he is, he is a tough dude. Uh, he might just find a way to, to beat the odds. Uh, Tyler Biotis from Wisconsin's a day three guy. Jake Hansen's a day three guy. Keith Ismail from San Diego State, probably day three guy. So down the board, if that's what you're looking for, those are probably the best options. But if, if you're trying to address the position and get a starter for day one, I mean, you're probably looking at Ruiz or Cushenberry, in my opinion. Great information, John. Thank you so much. But we have one more question and one more position to really go over, and that is the tackles. Now, Isaiah Simmons is a realistic option for the Giants at four. So if the Giants do go that way, I want to know, John, who is your favorite day two tackle and your favorite day three tackle that could possibly slide in and be a starter? Mm, Favorite day two tackle. I mean... (laughs) I think it's a I think it's a drop off after the first five guys and you know the consensus four and Josh Jones. I think it's a drop off after those guys. I, I really want to say Lucas Nyang, but I his health right now is just going to be such a question mark with that hip injury and not being able to get good medical information or see him work out or just any of those things. Like I mean, his tape last season, he had to change his whole pass set. I just think there's too many. I bet he's going to be there in like round four, so he may end up being your day three guy, even though he'll probably have like an early third round grade for me. But I know at the risk, it's hard. To, he's just a hard one to gauge right now where he's going to kind of be. Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, you know, there's some things I like. I think he has limitations that are probably always going to be there in pass protection. So, you know, I just think speed rushers are going to give him a heck of a time. And I don't know if he can extend that pass that at all or if he's going to end up kicking inside the guard. But he is a mammoth. I mean, he is every bit as big as Makai Becton. Not as good of an athlete. Not as smooth of an athlete, but still pretty solid athlete uh, for how big he is. He is a massive individual with not much bad weight on him. Uh, we have two rare specimens physically and those two guys in this class. You know, those are probably the two guys day two that I'd target, of course, with the asterisk next to Niang's health. Day three, I, I think Sadiq Charles kind of has a third round grade for me so right now on tape. But I know the character concerns are going to probably push him into day three. But I, I mean, I think he he does a really nice job on tape. I mean, he is not perfect technically. I would not start him year one, but he is about as athletically good at that position as you could ask for. I mean, the guy literally can do squats while he's blocking people. It's crazy. I mean, he is insanely flexible, explosive, um, strong. You know, he has reps where he just dominates people, and then he'll get beat the next play. I mean, there's just all over the place in terms of technique. So if anybody feels like they can kind of get his character in a place where he where he can might be able to work out for them. Then I think he has a shot to, to, to do something in the NFL, either a guard or a tackle. Um, but the character could be such a red flag based on everything I've heard that he might not get drafted at all. I don't know. So, you know, he's kind of that asterisk wild card that'll probably go on day three that I think has an, as a shot uh, based on his natural talent. And do you have any feelings on Barch or Pert, any of the smaller school, the really smaller school guys? I think Barch is promising. I haven't really got, dove into their tape a ton. I mean, I'm not expecting Barch's tape to tell me a whole lot at St. Yeah. John's. I watched his senior bowl reps. I thought he was up and down, you know, which is typical of offensive linemen there. But he wasn't one of the worst guys there. I mean, there were far worse guys than him. I heard some people say he might go in the second round. That seems like a little bit much to me. But, I mean, he could be an option for sure. Maybe a guard. I have to watch a little bit more of his tape to feel comfortable project where to project him at the next level. But um, Pert was bad at the senior bowl but has tons of talent. I've heard his tape is better. Again, he's another one I have to finish the eval on. Um, I didn't like his senior bowl tape at all, but I know that he can move, and so he'll probably get drafted in the top 100. He could be, you know, you're picking the 90s option um, for sure. Um, but you better be – I mean, I would want to give him some time. I've even seen Alex Taylor from South Carolina State pushed up there, and, man, he was so bad at the senior bowl. I mean, I just don't know where I'd want to draft him, but I've heard him talked about – and Pete Prisco said he could go round one. That's wow. insanity. But uh, day two, sometime if he goes, I just think that's a huge mistake. It's um, it's uh, Brandon Parker all over again. The Raiders taking him the first pick in the third round a few years ago um, when his own family didn't even think he was going until late day three. <laughs> so it's that type of situation all over again if Alex Taylor goes that high. So there's projects in this class. But you're talking about guys that are going to take great amount of coaching. And most of those guys that tackle, they just don't work out in the NFL. So I don't get too excited about them. No doubt. And before we let you go, John, I did want to get in one question from the from the listeners, because this was a pretty good one from Nemesis. And he asks, how should teams work their expectation 
of when a player likely will be drafted into the decision of when to actually draft that player if the expectation is lower than how high their grade is on that player. So do they take the chance of letting that player slide or do they or to like their next pick and get better value or should they always kind of go by their board? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it really depends on the situation, but I think this is where knowledge of the league becomes becomes so handy is kind of knowing tendencies of other general managers. And that's why, you know, behind the scenes in the NFL, there's a lot of activity to get done, you know, kind of reaching out even to, you know, third party people that can figure out teams tendencies um, and compile that data and offer it to teams. You know, they, they're very interested in what other GMs tendencies are. And in fact, I know there's people in place for NFL organizations that will go to team sites like mine, Peter report. If they know that there's some media people there who know and have studied the team's tendencies and then write about those tendencies, um, they'll have team people in those teams. The giants go into the bucks, you know, the best box teams websites. They have people that figure those things out, figure out what people in the media have the best pulse on these things year to year. And they'll read that site and study that site every day, going up until the draft to get an edge in those ways. Crazy. But it's true. Those are the kind of things the teams do uh, to get an edge. And so, yeah, there's some of that out there. I mean, teams really want to figure out what everybody else is doing because you're exactly right. You can move back. You know, I just heard I was listening to the Going Deep podcast um, with um, Stephen Chea and Willie Cologne, and they had John Spitek, who's the director of player personnel for the Bucks, on there. And he was talking about when the Bucks moved back to select Vita Vea. In the first round, they traded back. They wanted to take Vea. I think they were at seven. They wanted to take him there. They looked at the board and who was behind them, and they said, I think we can move back to – I forget where they moved back to, and I think we can still draft Vita Vea there and pick up two extra second-round picks. They pulled the trigger on it. They were nervous. They didn't know if their guy was still going to be there. He was still there. They drafted him. They took uh, Carlton Davis, who's a starter now for them at corner, MJ Stewart, who hasn't worked out at corner in the second round. But they got two extra second-round picks, moved back, still got their guy. But Spytek talked about sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. You have to be comfortable with whatever the plan B is. I think that's the biggest thing. Make sure you're getting enough compensation. If you want to move back, that's fine. Make sure you're getting enough compensation to that if you move back and your guy's gone and you have to go to plan B, you still feel good about the trade because you got the extra compensation that you needed to make your team better. So that's the key to it, I think is if you don't get a great deal and what you feel is going to be worth it, once you're back there and you see your guy go off the board, take them wherever you're at and, and stand by your convictions. Now be good at scouting because that's the most important part. But um, I think that's the kind of the information to keep in mind is, is, is what you get back in the trade going to be worth it if you miss the guy you want and his plan B plus whatever you got going to make up for missing the guy that you want. I love it, John. I think that's pretty much spot on with where I'm at with that. Nick, do you feel the same way? Yeah, hundred percent. You articulate it fantastically, my man. John, thanks <laughs> Thank again. You for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you've been grinding really hard now as we, you know, we're now days almost, it's weeks, days away from the NFL draft. So I can't wait to see how it all plays out. We really appreciate you taking the time though, because this was friggin' excellent stuff and our listeners are going to love it too. So thanks again. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It means a lot. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, John. It's been great. We go back to the ITP inside the pylon days and you've always been a good friend in this industry to me. So thank you so much. (laughs) Hey, feel the same about you, Nick. Thanks so much, man. All right, Nick, that was one hell of an interview with Ledyard. I really learned a lot myself, and it's interesting to hear his thoughts on some of the tackles that we maybe, you know, guys we had maybe higher than, you know, he sees them, and also similar to, like, how he feels about the edge class. That's probably the scariest takeaway I had from that interview. He's really not high on this edge class, obviously, outside of Chase Young, who he didn't feel the need to mention, as he shouldn't have, because he's not going to be in play for the Giants. So what, what did you take away mostly from this interview? What, did, what really stood out to you? Yeah, when you really talk about the edge class, the thing that uh, he brought up, he brought up Bond and how Zach Bond is a fantastic football player, and he really wanted to make a point to kind of, you know, say that. And he just thinks he has some concerns when it comes to him being that full-time edge. But the thing about Bond when it comes to the Giants, I think he his versatility and his ability to rush the passer and be that linebacker that we have talked about is something that really meshes with what Patrick Graham can do. Like, look at New England, all the New England disciples and what New England does on defense. They always have these players like Jamie Collins, players like Kyle Van Noy, who are kind of those hybrid linebacker edge who come off the edge and they blitz and they stunt and they do so many different things. I think Zach Bond would fill that role phenomenally for New England. And then you look at Patrick Graham. What is Patrick Graham? He's a New England disciple. So I really think his, the way he could be utilized with the Giants, with Patrick Graham, 
it would improve the pass rush and maybe he wouldn't be that traditional quote unquote edge rusher. But I think what he can do is add pressure to the Giants defense with Patrick Graham. So I kind of really love, just love the idea of him at 36. And I think it would upgrade the pass rush. I think it would do so many different things. I know you agree with me because I know you're a huge Zach Vaughn guy to that, to that defense, to be honest. And then yeah, he's not necessarily wrong with a lot of these. There's a lot of question marks with the edge position if we're diving into that. And he really went through, he was very thorough with the wide receiver rankings. And I think he brought up a bunch of interesting names that could be those X type receivers for Jason Garrett's offense. And he was high on Pittman, somebody I really respect in film. And he's really high on Michael Pittman. We've kind of been banging the table for Pittman, but it doesn't seem like he's consensus and draft Twitter. One of those top even 10 receivers, it seems like a lot of people don't even have him in that. And he had him at six, which I really uh, like to see. I thought he brought up a great point about Pittman was he doesn't win with that separation quickness, but he still wins at the catch point with his physicality. He's not somebody who is going to separate with just pure athleticism, but he still finds ways to win. And that's something that is really valuable. So I really liked uh, the way he really went over the wide receiver in the edge positions there uh, for the Giants and who the Giants could be interested in. The Giants are looking for that X receiver, and they're definitely looking for pass rush. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, especially with Vaughn, because even if he does kind of have to move to more of a hybrid role or sometimes he's off the edge, but a lot of times he's kind of not, I think what he has is what the Giants are looking for. And I don't think that's changed even moving from Betcher to Graham. I think this is something that, no one's going to give it this credit for this because they don't want to give Gettleman credit for anything. And this is not even something necessarily you can go ahead and say it's something he deserves credit for yet. But if you read deep into when he got hired by the Giants, he wanted to reshape how the Giants look at the second and third level, specifically the second level at linebacker. And he want he wanted players who were really quick to the ball, players who were really quick to the line of scrimmage moving downhill. You saw it with with um Ryan Connolly, he thought he would get it with Ogletree, but he, you know, he misevaluated that one. But he has, he thought he would get it with Carter. There's the jury still out there on Lorenzo Carter. I still think he has time to to grow and develop there. Eximinance is a player who I think has flashed this type of ability, and Bond certainly has it. So I think Bond is a really nice fit to the point where they may even consider trading back up like they did for Baker to really make sure they land Bond. Now, do they have the assets to do that right now? No, of course not. I mean, they still may do it. Because I don't really think Gettleman cares, but if they trade back maybe with the Chargers or something like that in the first round, they may then have an asset that they feel they can go ahead and trade to kind of lock in a guy like Bond who really stands out to me as far as like what you said, how he fits the Giants versus the rest of this edge list. Because like, for example, a guy like Curtis Weaver is a guy who I was like somewhat on board with. I kind of like his production from a pressure standpoint. I wasn't sure about how he'd translate to the next level, but there were things to like. And then I listened to John speak about him and it's kind of like, yeah, you know what, when you really dive deeper into it, it's not, there's not as much to get excited about. And, And he feels the same way about Uchi as well. So, you know, you're running out of guys there to really get excited about for me, at least outside of Bond, who I do think can win a little bit on that. And then you talk about the receivers, Nick, um, you know, Pittman, he, he really broke it down best. He's a he's Vincent Jackson-esque down the field. This is a perfect example of a guy like, you know, you look at a John Ross, a Henry Ruggs, these guys who run the four twos at the combine, Nick. Those guys are offering the offenses something for sure. They're offering that speed element to to force the safety to play deeper, uh, you know, over the top and, and, and open up that middle of the field for the passing game. But those guys don't exactly have that much tape where they're winning in a variety of ways and so consistently down the field. But a guy like Pittman was always consistently winning down the field, using his body to box out defenders. He knows how to go up, get the football, and put himself in a position to make big plays. And he's not a one-trick pony. He can move after the catch. He's really big and long, 220 pounds, around a 4-5-1 at 6-4. So, you know, Pittman for sure is a guy I like. And Edwards is a guy I'm going to have to come back on. Where where did you stand on Edwards before talking to John? Because he's someone I really haven't, you know, dug that deep into. Yeah, I haven't dug too deep into uh, the offense of South Carolina, more so on their defense, just to watch Javon Kinlaw, who is a monster. But uh, I want to dive more into his tape. A lot of people I've talked to who have watched his tape, who I do respect, say he's somewhat like a Debo Samuel, where he can do many different things well, and they can even see him be used in a similar role. But I just look at San Francisco's offense, and the way they employ their rushing attack and just do things is just so different than what a lot of other teams do in the NFL. So I'm wondering if Debo didn't land 
in San Francisco, what exactly would his role look like? How would he be employed and how good would he be as just like the quote unquote normal receiver in the NFL in the normal base kind of offense? And uh, so I just really need to dive into that film. But I did like how um, John brought up Logan Wilson. He's somebody that I've been high on as well. One thing I'm a little concerned about, I'm not really he, he was he did excel in coverage and doing great things for that Wyoming uh, defense. He was very, very productive, but I don't necessarily see someone who could be that man coverage, Akeem Davis Gaither type of athlete at linebacker. I think he's athleticism uh, was underrated going into the combine. And then he tested as he did. And I think he can do a lot of good things, but I think it's, if you do not get Isaiah Simmons at linebacker and you do not get Akeem Davis Gaither, I don't really know what other linebacker you'll get that will kind of excel in man coverage. If they're going to be looking for that type of linebacker. Now, I did like the fact that they brought up Terrell Burgess. This kind of goes with the linebackers because Terrell Burgess is – you can play just a lot of secondary pieces on defense. Terrell Burgess can come in, and he said that he excelled in the slot. And I've been meaning to get to Burgess's tape, like, like really get to his tape. I've seen glimpses of him. We've talked about him, and I've liked what I've seen. But if he does excel in that slot role, maybe the Giants will go and look to play Julian Love in that free safety role. Maybe you can interchange them, see who is the best fit there. I think there could be sure. a lot of options there. But – when it comes to linebacker, I just don't know if there's going to be that uh that really really athletic linebacker if you miss out on those uh on Simmons and Davis Gaither. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. It's a top heavy class in that regard, and the Giants are playing with fire if they if they don't get any. I mean, it's not necessarily like playing with fire, but listen, these guys don't come around that often. It's not every class. It's very rare, I think, to have three four guys up top at the off ball linebacker position that are this exciting and prospectively this could be this really this you know. Game changing for the Giants defense in my mind, because I do really believe that the, the second level of this the impact of second level defenders is underrated right now at the, the NFL level. And I think somebody with that kind of with that kind of athleticism, speed, ability to do three different things, attack downhill, dropping coverage, blitz, you know, rush the passer from the interior. These are guys that are rare breeds. And so hopefully they come out of the draft with one of them. They find a way to do that, but it'll be interesting to see. And then I I thought it was interesting what he said about the center position and the tackle position, Nick, because starting with center, you know, Reese is a guy who I think is really a better fit for what the Giants used to have with Pat Shermer and the inside, inside zone heavy scheme. And, and like, you know, John said, he is a pass first type of center. He's better in pass pro, but what he said is he thinks he can do it all. And he thinks that, you know, he's better than than just that label. Do you where do you stand on Ruiz? Is he somebody who you would would be on board with somebody you're gung ho about maybe getting at 36 if he's still on the board? I, I am, to be honest. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I said that I want to say a couple podcasts ago about Ruiz. I just don't think he's going to be there. I think he's going to be selected in the first round. And I think he's he's solid to good in the run game. I think, yes, you're right. He's better in pass protection, but I've seen him climb up to the second level, locate blocks. He's a dog when it comes to just finishing. He's still like, he's not overpowering. Like you said, that Frank Ragnow type of going to toss you out of the club, but he's not just a sustainer either. He can drive some people off the ball. I think he's better than Cushenberry in that area as well. So I look at uh, Cesar Ruiz and I think he can execute in both of those levels, and I think he can play in that gap power type of offense that we're looking to probably see with Jason Garrett. But I didn't really, uh, I didn't love the depth of the centers that he talked about because yeah. he's done more work on a lot of these other guys, right. and he wasn't high on Beatus. He wasn't high on a lot of the other Hennessey guys that up too. Hennessy is a guy we like. Yeah, yeah, Hennessy. I mean, he's somebody I can't get my hands on any all twenty-two Temple tape. That's something that just doesn't really uh, float around, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's something that's concerning because we know Gettleman, hopefully he, you know, does like, obviously he does his homework when he doesn't seem to draft. Uh, he seems to like to find, like we said, with the Carolina Panthers, he found a lot of gems later in the draft. So hopefully he can kind of dig up and find some of these guys that maybe John overlooked or we've overlooked someone like a Keith Ishmael or Kyle Murphy out of Rhode Island. But I don't know if any of those guys are going to be like really, really strong at the point of attack kind of players. But um, we got to trust Dave Gettleman to uh, hopefully find some of those guys. And when it comes to the tackles, I mean, I don't know if like it's 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 really this is a fascinating conversation, man. If the Giants go tackle at four or they do not go tackle at four, because like John said, they're that drop off. I think Yang, I put him up there above Jones. He's my fifth tackle. But that hip, that's a concern. You know, you have to be on the field to be effective, obviously. And then you get into guys like Austin Jackson. And then he laid out some of the problems with guys like Sadiq Charles and Isaiah Wilson. And I think he's spot on with those kind of players. So 
I think Gettleman has one hell of a choice ahead of him with that fourth overall pick, man, because drafting those guys who are going to be safe, just rocks on your offensive line for, you know, what, eight years, possibly, whatever, eight to ten years, that's that's great. But are you going to pass up on this blue-chip prospect in Isaiah Simmons? It's kind of the, kind of the what are you going to do, Gettleman, a conversation that you and I have been having for the on this podcast with, with everybody for the last, what, three, four months. Right. Exactly. And then as far as the tackle position goes, Nick, I also thought he made some interesting points there. Uh, like Yang is a guy who he thinks, and I can see this because we've seen this happen. This was what was most interesting there about the point he made about Yang. You see these guys with the medical concerns and kind of the lack of information from the medical standpoint sometimes drop super far. Remember um, a couple years ago, I think it was Tyrell Crosby. He was a tackle out of Oregon who I really liked, thought he was really potentially. the Lions, yeah. Yeah, and I thought he was going to be a really good NFL player, but he just, I thought originally, maybe a first, maybe a second round player. Then he just dropped and dropped. Round three, round four, I think he was a fifth round pick, and it came out later that there were serious medical concerns that they didn't get answers on. So I know we talked about with Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed was was mentioning on the last podcast we had with him, or two podcasts ago, that he thought Yang might be a guy for the Giants at 36. But, you know, something to think about is, is there value taking him at 36 if the medicals are this inconsistent there that, hey, they might he might last and last and last and become somebody you can more so take a flyer on on day three rather than, you know, pour all these key assets into it, if that makes any sense. No, it makes plenty of sense. And it comes to how, how your risk aversion and are you in a position to risk a valuable draft pick? On someone like that, right. if your medicals can't check out and everything that's going on with COVID-19, it's there's less information out there. Maybe your doc, you could have brought Lucas Yang in to your facility and gave him one of those top 30 uh, visits. You could have gave him that, but now you can't. So your doctors don't necessarily get their hands on unless they did at the combine. So it's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of questions to be answered with these guys who have these medical checks that could slide. You might see a lot of talented players come draft day slide down the board because their medicals just won't check out. And that brings up a Tua conversation, too, which is just a whole nother bag of worms. And that's really, really interesting. Doesn't necessarily um, not the Giants won't draft Tua, but it could significantly impact what happens with the Giants picks if someone wants to trade up because you're hearing that Miami's really been into Herbert I mean that's those are like the whispers in the wind now so who knows what's going to actually uh happen with that quarterback position I just hope the Giants can get as much value for for if they can trade out of there yeah for sure Nick and we'll see what happens with the Tua situation as you brought that up I mean it, it, it does relate to the Giants just because Listen, if they can find a way to, to move back to, from four to five, that's like the dream scenario with the Dolphins. Pick up a third or whatever. They'll give you early third. Maybe they'll give you a two if you move in a third. That's really the dream scenario there because you're not going to lose much. And the same thing goes really for the Chargers. I honestly think if they trade back with either team, they'll probably end up getting the prospect they were going to get at four at five or six. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. One thing I thought he mentioned that was interesting, going back to like kind of the safety class, Nick, and really the deep high, the guy, the guys who have that experience in deep high look, in single high looks deep. And I keep coming back to Ashton Davis because I love Davis at the start of this process. Loved him at the senior bowl, during the senior bowl week. Obviously he was, had the medical concerns and didn't have a chance to play, you know, it's not to play, to compete in the combine. And that's kind of dropped his stock or dragged his stock a little bit, but I just don't know if it should. And I don't know if there's many players in this class like him with that range and with more so than the range, just because I do think some of these guys have the range and could get, and could be surprises at the next level from that standpoint, but just the experience, the snaps doing it in those single high looks and, and having success, and that translates in my mind. And a guy like that to me is so important for this defense. They just have been lacking anyone who they can trust in single high looks for so long. They tried to put Bethay in single high looks, and it was embarrassing how bad he was there. Same thing went for Riley before him, Darian Thompson before that. They just cycling through these these deep half safeties and they just can't figure it out so if it's a position that's rare and it is and if it's a position that you know there's not that many prospects with the experience I wouldn't mind them going all the way up top and taking a guy like Davis I don't want to say 36 I'd prefer them to trade back or to trade or to find a pick in that 50 to 70 range where I think he's going to go and you know how do you get that pick you can trade back from 33 you can trade back from four and pick up an extra pick in that range there's different ways to pick up a pick in that range um, you know, the Patriots will be willing to give it to you for next year's too, if you really want to get aggressive with it. But the point is the fact that he's so rare makes him kind of move up my board more. Does that make sense, Nick? 
It does make sense. And Davis is a kind of very interesting because, like you said, a lot of people were talking about him at the end of the season, but he's had this nagging groin injury basically since the season. And it, you know, affected him. He couldn't uh, play the, in the senior bowl. He couldn't practice there. He was there and his uh, measurements all checked out and everything like that. Goes to the combine. He can't perform at the combine. And then you look at Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar from two small schools who just ascend and they're athletic traits and their size are so intriguing so you don't really hear as much about ashton davis but you turn on his film and i'd say outside of grant delpit you're looking at when it comes to these top level prospects he's definitely second when it comes to his range i think if he tested at the combine you would have saw that he was like a similar athlete to chin and dugger when it comes to lower body explosiveness quick acceleration and all those things that really matter when it comes to just turning your hips and going in one direction to try to disrupt a wide receiver at the catch point, which Ashton Davis did on film. So I think you're spot on with your analysis of Davis and maybe the giants will get lucky and he'll just slide a little bit. Cause the safety position is kind of a weird position and teams value it in different ways. So hopefully with the ascension of chin and Duggar, who are two players that I really, really do like, but the giants kind of have skill sets that are similar to those guys right now. I think Davis kind of fills that role that the giants will right. be looking for. Maybe Davis will slide and the giants will be able to take advantage of it. It'll be interesting to see it all break down, Nick. Any other takeaways or thoughts you want you wanted to touch on before we sign off from John's interview? Now, I think John was uh, spot on, and he did an amazing job, as he always does, and I'm just glad to see him back evaluating yeah. these. Yep, that, that was his calling card, and, you know, he does a hell of a job with it. So I, I was really happy when he said he wanted to join the show, John, because, he, like I said, he was one of the first guys on Draft Twitter that I started following, watching his film work, and he really puts in the time and the work. And that's all you can ask for. So on that note, everyone, thanks again for listening in. We've got some more content coming very shortly. Another big interview coming up, one that will focus more on the offensive line, which I know everybody wants. We've been hearing it. We've been seeing it, reading it in the comments. So offensive line talks coming. Don't worry. A lot more draft talk in general coming. Uh, so stay tuned. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you guys shortly. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.